Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week, we're looking at a piece that could be a fan favorite, but is more like a forgotten middle child. That's right. You know what it is. <laughs> we're going to be looking at the Passepied from Sweet Bergamesque by Claude Debussy. We hope to show you today that it's a really ingenious little piece that has been far too long overshadowed by the suite's third movement, the name of which we shan't speak here. Just kidding, it's Claire de Lune. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, we have to tell them what it is. <laughs> and we'll probably eventually talk about other movements of this suite as well, of course, Claire de Lune, and probably the first and second as well, first and second movements. Um, if it's not clear, the Passepied is the fourth movement of the suite Bergamasque. And this one, it just happened to be stuck in my head, so I wanted to do it first, which is why we're going backwards, apparently. Now, on today's episode, we won't go too much into Debussy's history, but if you would like to know more about him, check out our previous episodes 14 and 158. We've done some more biographical information in both of those, but instead, let's get into the music. The Sweet Bergamasque itself was first composed in 1890. Now, the term Bergamasque comes from a few different inspirations that Debussy wanted to imbue his music with. The first was the Italian Commedia dell'arte of Italy, specifically the city of Bergamo. The Commedia dell'arte told stories through a cast of stock characters, so essentially the audience would see a certain character, like the Harlequin Clown, for example, and they would know exactly what that character's all about, and so they'd be able to kind of cut down on the prologue and just get right into the meat of these stories. So taking that inspiration into account, perhaps each movement of Sweet Bergamasque can be thought of as a distinct character. Each movement does sound distinctly different from the others, and so they all do truly have a character that a listener can come to understand right from the opening bars. The other inspiration is the Bergamasque dance. Again, originating in Bergamo, this 16th century dance featured even and repeated harmonic and melodic patterns. Of course, Debussy doesn't hold strictly to that sort of composition. Impressionist composer? Strict? Pfft, no. <laughs> we wouldn't hear of it. Rather, this is more just a play on words and simply indicating to the listener that this is in fact a dance suite. Which is true for three of the four movements, Claire de Lune is not a dance. But that, again, is for a different podcast. You might say it is Bergamasque-esque. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the history of this composition. What Debussy wrote in 1890 is not the suite we hear as it is today. The first draft of Sweet Bergamasque featured two entirely different third and fourth movements. In 1902, there was then a premiere performance of a three-movement suite, again, not in final published form. And finally, in 1905, Debussy's publisher came out with the four movements that we all know today. 
So now honing in on just the fourth movement of the passepied. Of course, the passepied is an older dance form, and this movement mimics the style and speed of which that dance was played. However, the older style was often heavily syncopated, which once we really get into the music here, you'll see that Debussy's is not. However, being an impressionist, it kind of makes sense that this is just Debussy's idea or impression of what this dance could be. It doesn't have to be an exact copy, it just gets that feeling across. So with that, let's listen in. The first thing we hear is staccato eighth notes in the bass clef. They start on an F-sharp minor arpeggio with the top note ending on the third. However, in the subsequent iterations of this arpeggio, WC actually moves that top note up stepwise to B, C-sharp, then D, before restarting the pattern again. This is the basic bass motif that will be played throughout most of the piece, with little harmonic changes added in for spice. The next musical interest we get is, of course, the melody. As we mentioned, the traditional passepied would be heavily syncopated. However, this melody starts out with two quarter notes followed by a half note, all played on the beat. And any subsequent eighth notes that are part of this melody are also started right on the beat. Something that I noticed when listening to this uh, again recently, though, with the context of that it's uh, like a passepied, but not actually, it's passepied-esque, the passepied was traditionally syncopated. This is not. We've mentioned that. But the mm -hmm. emphasis that Debussy puts on certain <laughs> measured or certain beats in this melodic line can feel sort of off from what you're expecting. So it's not mm -hmm. actually synch syncopated like the first, like in the very first part of the melody, those two short quarter notes and then the long, the, the held third note. That's the emphasis, mm -hmm. and it's not exactly where you're really expecting it to be. Right, right. And so that so, might be Debussy's play on the past PA's syncopation. It's a very good trick. It is. Very excellent observation. And to continue this straight rhythm that maybe is tricking us into thinking it's syncopated, in the second phrase of the melody, we do get notes that tie to beat one. So the eighth notes do start on the upbeat, but it's still pretty straight here. But also in the second phrase, we get some lovely contrary motion. While the upward eighth note line is on a held note, that same right hand that's playing the treble clef also has to play downward quarters. So it's a really lovely contrast, and it's the first challenge that the pianist will encounter in the piece that requires some individual finger dexterity. The first of many challenges. Mm -hmm. More on that later. Yes. Now this phrase also ends in an interesting way, with the melody highlighting D major, the major 6 of F-sharp minor. It's nice because this chord is major, but it's a very different sound from the normal 5 chord that most Western classical music likes to focus on. However, we get a nice transition back to the second repetition of the theme with an F-sharp on beat 3 that ties nicely to the next melodic line. 
In the next repetition, the music actually changes up a bit. We do get a little syncopation here, where the downbeat is actually silent. And from there, we really start to change up the harmony. We get a G-sharp major 7 chord. This chord uses accidentals of B-sharp and D-sharp, so it's not really part of the F-sharp minor key. Instead, it's the dominant 5 chord of a different key, in this case, C-sharp, which is the 5 of F-sharp, so it really all makes sense. Does it? Yes, it does. <laughs> it's the 5 of 5, yes, it makes total <laughs> sense. <laughs> and so we do resolve, then, this whole passage on the 5 chord as well. And this tonal center is kept as we get to the next section of the piece, which now has a stylistic change, beginning with a transition that mimics our previous melody. In this next section, the bass arpeggios stop having their downward turnarounds, strictly moving upwards in a more flowing fashion. The melody also becomes more graceful thanks to slurred quarter note triplets. Now this is another challenge the pianist must overcome. These triplets are contrary to the duple feel that the eighth notes in the bass are providing, so there really has to be independent thinking between the left and the right hands. And we have talked about this before, I don't remember in which episode, but just trying to tap out the rhythm on the table with both of your hands, with the left one doing duples and the right one trying to do triples over top of that. It is pretty challenging, but give it a whirl. I'll say this, I can do it with my right hand doing triples and my left hand doing duples. I uh, WC doesn't want that. <laughs> do the, the other way around. Oh no, Asa! You've got to separate your brain hemispheres better. I I do. I've I just <laughs> tried and it 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 can't. <laughs> what your brain can't separate anymore? My, my brain can't separate, and my hands can't swap their duple triples. And yet another challenge in this same section is that under the triplets there are held notes, but the voicing changes for them. Sometimes they're played with the inner fingers, the thumb and the pointer, and sometimes with the outers, meaning ring and pinky finger. And so this is yet another challenge that you can try. Try holding different groups of fingers down on the table while playing a steady rhythm with other fingers of the same hand. You may find that some configurations are easier than others, but Debussy does not care. He wants <laughs> all your fingers to think and play independently. <laughs> Be sure to post all of your hand-tapping finger challenges on all of the social medias. <laughs> and tag the coffee house in there as well. <laughs> With hashtag Debussy's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people will know what that means. <laughs> so after you've tried all of your fun finger exercises, WC now brings us back to the original theme. Kind of. We still get the straight line in the treble, but to make the sections flow better together, 
the baseline is actually still those upward-only eighths rather than the previous up-and-down eighths. It's a nice melding of those two ideas that we've explored thus far. There's another little transition, and then we're on to a, another new idea again. This time, the bass eighths don't start on the downbeat, but they're still in an all-upward direction. The melody has a similar straight rhythm that we've experienced before, but the harmonies are drastically different. This time we're really focusing on that C-sharp key, with accidentals being thrown in everywhere. With this, there actually ends up being half stepwise chromatic motion in the melody, which gives an ethereal or a mystical feel. What's nice though is that the phrases do resolve quickly back to the F-sharp tonic. Also in this section, you hear a lot more rubato and a general slowing of the tempo, unlike the previous section, which had a driving feel with its constant eighth. It's much more a dreamscape, like you might traditionally associate Debussy's music with, than a dance floor. As we move through this section, the key center changes again. This is a much more standard-sounding major section, actually toying around with E major for a while, which E is the seventh of F-sharp, just a fun stepwise modulation away. And while we've been talking about the harmony and rhythm, dynamics do play a part in the charm of this piece as well. Here we've just gotten some very big chords that WC asks to be resolved to piano right away. And in this piano section, WC employs a technique similar to the very beginning arpeggios, where he moved the top note stepwise independently of the remaining arpeggio. Listen here to the bass line as this time the lowest note moves downward, while the other notes in the arpeggio remain stable. The next bit we come to is quite different. It's pianissimo, and the treble melodic line is actually staccato, unlike the more connected and flowing melodies we have been hearing. Also, the bass eighths are back and going up and down. And we're still playing around with E major quite a bit here. But that's not for long, because soon we actually get a full modulation into a new key of A-flat major. And this is an interesting choice, as A-flat is not a part of F-sharp minor, or E major that we had just been playing in for that matter. However, what is a part of those keys is G-sharp which is the same as A-flat, 
But everyone knows it's better to play in a key with four flats instead of a fake key with six <laughs> sharps and a double sharp. <laughs> Heartily agree on that point. That's right, G sharp major doesn't actually exist. If we think of the G-sharp scale as just raising the G-natural major scale by half steps on each note, we go from G, A, B, C, D, E, F-sharp, G, to G-sharp, A-sharp, B-sharp, C-sharp, D-sharp, E-sharp, F-double-sharp, G-sharp. <laughs> These notes, thanks to the magic of music, are the same as the A-flat major scale. A flat is G sharp, B flat is A sharp, etc., and F double sharp, of course, is G. Yes. Thank you, <laughs> on behalf of all musicians, Claude Debussy, for not being like some modern composers and trying to write in a fake key instead of picking the enharmonic scale. <laughs> we thank you heartily, Mr. Debussy. Yes, we do. So back to the music at hand. In our lovely new A-flat major key, we play another ethereal melody that sounds like little bells thanks to the higher pitch range that Debussy is utilizing, but it does mimic a melody we have heard already before. But we don't stay in this place for long. As the sound winds down and a ritardando is added, we jump right back to our old F-sharp minor key signature with the quiet but insistent staccato melody. And then Debussy does some exploration of the downward eighth note arpeggios that he's used as transitions between other sections. This time, they get to be the main concept, again changing the highest note to create the inklings of a melody. And once again, he shows off his expert skill at weaving these sections together here. We've just gotten used to the higher pitched downward eighths, so he keeps them, but exclusively in the right hand. Now, the left bass hand gets to play the melody, and it's a subtle yet genius technique to incorporate repetition, but still give a new spin. It doesn't last long, though, before the right hand steals it back for more of a true repetition of what came before. At this point, the piece is winding to a close, so Debussy wants to bring down the tension a little while still keeping the listener engaged. So instead of having both the left and right hands playing higher notes in the treble, he actually has both hands go back down into the bass clef for a deeper tone with the flowing triplet quarter notes. And now for the sound that Debussy is famous for, what put him on the map, or put many places on the map, the pentatonic scale. It is played <laughs> here in grand, repeated, up and downward sweeps. 
and we have talked extensively about this pentatonic scale in our previous WC episodes, so once again, do be sure to check those out. It was 14 and 158. To round out the piece, WC brings back the high-pitched ethereal sound. And to conclude, there is a coda with a pianissimo dynamic and focusing <laughs> on the five chord. Here, WC has the left hand play half note chords that are very open fifths, while the right hand plays alternating eighth notes, also with fifth intervals, which is yet another hallmark of the impressionist sounds. And we hear this fifth all the way till the end until we finish off on three short and very open F-sharp minor triads. And to explain open, yes, they do feature the one, three, five, but in inversion, and they're spread out so much across the piano. That's what we mean by open. Mm -hmm. So our ears hear something quite different from a more traditional triad. This piece is just so lovely, and I really think it is a hidden gem within the greater classical canon. I mean, sure, pianists know it, Debussy know lovers know it, but it's not one that like people go to. Claire de Lune obviously is, but I yeah. really want this one to come to the top. I love it so much. I'm I'm with you there. I mean, Claire de Lune is just such a juggernaut. Um, it is rightfully what people think of when they think of Debussy and Impressionist music, sometimes Satie here and there, um, and his weird castle music, but... <laughs> or Ravel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to Impressionist piano music, you think Claude Debussy and you think Claire de Lune. But I really love how the rest of the movements of Sweet Bergamask and this piece in particular show that that style is still so flexible. It doesn't have to be this a-tempo, slow, like, atmospheric piece. Mm -hmm. like it we can always... have the structure and mm -hmm. the driving rhythm underneath. I mean, you could technically say it's danceable. It, right. it is a dance. It felt, I mean, when we played an arrangement of this in clarinet quartet, it made us want to dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's just uh, a good piece. It it's really a very, is. very good piece. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully this has piqued your ears. If you've not personally heard this movement, definitely go listen to the whole thing somewhere. And we will definitely come back at you with some more Sweet Bergamasque in the future. Maybe not in consecutive episodes like we did for the Tchaikovsky. Maybe we'll just sprinkle them in here and there. Yeah. Spring a little sprinkling of bergamask. And if you know some friends, family, or randos on the street that would like a sprinkling of WC in their life. <laughs> well, I don't lives think they're knowing the randos. They, they have to meet well, they them. They could get to know the randos <laughs> yeah. by telling them about the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. <laughs> that sounds like a wonderful idea. Share us with randos on the street. <laughs> Hit the streets, as we like to say. 
Um, How did or, we come to this? I don't know. Uh, but regardless, it's uh, it helps. Share. Share the magic of Debussy. And we of appreciate course, your share. We do. And of course, uh, your ratings on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your podcast, those are also much appreciated. And until the next odd outro, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The past PA from Sweet Burger Mosque was performed by Jacobo Salvatore. You can find the coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook at the Coffeehouse Classical Podcast and Instagram at Podcast Coffeehouse. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 